0: Welcome to the holly compound, follow the music.
1: Hey everybody. It's Nick. Uh, we have a surprise surprise uh bonus not emergency maybe this actually might be an emergency but considering it happened last week i wouldn't necessarily call it an emergency this is how wrestling explains the world i'm nick bond that is david gibb hello and we are here to talk about ultimate deletion which uh we were just talking about off mic um or off air, I guess it was really good Like to begin. It was, I really enjoyed it. Unironically. I think you felt the same way.
0: Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it a great deal too. I mean, something uh, really fun, really different, maybe like not in line with what I necessarily think wrestling should be by default. Um, but definitely something that's, you know, uh, much needed occasionally.
1: Yeah, I don't think wrestling should become this, but like it's now like a casket match in the sense that people can be written off the show and like repackaged in a way that like makes sense in the context of wrestling and isn't just like a loser leaves town match which is just stupid.
0: Oh, that's a great analogy. I think this is kind of the 2018 version of The Undertaker's magic. Like they're not portraying you know actual magic but this is sort of like the the modern equivalent of that uh, reality bending latitude you know that you can give the writers now as you can say well this is an opportunity to change everything because it exists in kind of an alternate reality
1: yeah like we aren't i don't think this is the most important thing that's ever happened in wrestling but I think it appearing on WWE television in particular as the main event of raw, which they cut it out of the Hulu version, but there's a couple of reasons for that. I think they wanted to get the YouTube views in part, um, of each individual video and then the big video, because they split it into seven separate videos and then they released the whole thing. So I think they were really just trying to goose up their YouTube members.
0: Um, which is, which is practically brutal for people like me who don't watch Raw and Smackdown in real time and rely on that Hulu uh, edit to kind of keep us uh, you know, abreast of what's going on on the main show. So I was really, really disappointed when I uh, went to watch the show on Hulu and, and fast forwarded, you know, I'm getting to the end, getting to the end of the main event, getting to the end of the tag match. And I'm like, there's not a lot of time left on this counter. What the hell's going on? So... Just as a side note, I mean, I, I like you said. I'm sure the idea was to drive traffic to YouTube, but it was, it was a, uh, it was a middle finger for a lot of you know cord cutters who who watch raw through YouTube.
1: or people who recorded it and didn't like. Uh, we both have Sling. I recorded it on Sling, and um, it cut off the last because it's like a 15 minute overrun for it because it's basically like a, right. It's a, it's not basically. It is a short film, and I think that's kind of what I wanted to get into. Is like it is revolutionary in the sense that it is an actual short film just like played on WWE te- television but I think what we're talking about is also important to that because they kind of threw it out there and were like let's see what happens in every sense of that word and I I think personally this was like the closest I can think is that it's either the pipe bomb um speech, the pipe, the pipe bomb promo that uh, CM Punk did, or honestly it feels almost as revolutionary and I could be, you know, talking out my ass here, as the Vince McMahon speech that we talked about in an earlier episode um, because it kind of like says no, this this is what wrestling can be now. Do you, uh, do you think I'm being overzealous about what it could mean?
0: You know, I didn't make that connection instantly myself. I didn't put it that high on a level and um partially because like they already did something very similar about two years ago in tna like i know it's much more affirmative to the uh historical and cultural value of this that it's now happened in the wwe but i guess that i i did most of my thinking about how this was going to revolutionize the business back when the original final deletion aired. And so I didn't necessarily see it from that perspective, but I definitely think it's a really uh, important moment. The key term that I think is really important when we're talking about uh, ultimate deletion is juxtaposition, right? Comparing two things or placing two things next to each other that are very different, that maybe don't seem like they belong. And uh Ultimate deletion was them them being WWE pronouns, pal, right? Haha. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, it was it was them presenting something that was substantially quote unquote faker or more contrived or more cinematic, like you said, than what they usually present. So it was a moment where WWE took airtime. And they said, we are going to present something that's markedly different. And like I was chatting about with you before we hit the record button, they even qualified it by saying like, we, uh, Cole apologized for it in advance. So they really went out of their way to, to draw attention to, hey, we're juxtaposing the first two hours and 50 minutes of this show with something that's just markedly different than what we've been doing for the last 30 years. So it is definitely a super important moment, even though maybe I didn't immediately connect it to some of the other historic moments in wwe have f history that you did
1: yeah and i think that is an important thing to mention is that they have done this before and quite frankly i think those the first one was better i don't really yes i think the first one was actual like this is the best fucking thing I've ever seen. We're there li- was
0: literally a scene in the first one where Matt and Jeff Hardy or Broken Broken Matt and Brother Nero were facing off shooting Roman candles at each other. And just for like pure, you know, stupid, uh, enjoyable entertainment, I really can't think of anything better than two rednecks shooting fireworks at each other, yeah. you know? So so ultimate deletion had a lot to live up then. But like you said, I think this one was more cinematic. This one was um, tight, more, structured a lot more tightly, and was it was doing a lot more consciously than the first one, which was maybe more revolutionary. But I think they were, you know, they were just presenting the world for the first time, which is inherently more shocking and more impactful. But this time, I think they were revisiting the world in a much uh, more thoughtful way, or for a different angle that we often see in the really good sequels across any genre. Yeah,
1: and I I think, yeah, I think it was an exceptional sequel. I just think that the first one was so revolutionary that it's kind of like, uh, you can't really, like the first one, if you have a chance, go back and watch Final Deletion. It is, as uh, Mark Normandin, my former co-host on Rudo Radio put it after when we talked about it the first time, was uh, the wrestling was terrible, but the wrestling was great. It is like this beautiful idea of what professional wrestling can be and what i really like um about it is that they are actively incorporating cinematic concepts like the language of cinema more or less into the language of professional wrestling like uh the thing that's mind-blowing and people may not like think about it this way was the flashbacks were fuck like that shit yes. has literally never happened in WWE. Like that is mind blowing. They like, they fucked with space and time in a way that like was always the provenance of non, like it, they took it outside of the stage of wrestling and that like what um, Bart's talked about and like really put it in a film. And made it work as a wrestling thing.
0: One that really stuck out to me is when they went to the dilapidated city and uh, Hardy asked, Oh, does this remind you of anything? And there's the flashbacks to the Wyatt compound. Ray Wyatt, does this remind you of anything? <laughs> 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 And, like I said, that was just a brilliant, like, cinematic visual way of juxtaposing the two characters. It's like, so, you know, uh, Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt are the same because they're like both these crazy guys from the backwoods who have wooden shacks in their yards or whatever. But at the same time, like, when they flash back, the Bray Wyatt ones, there's the scene where, or the shot where he's sitting in the rocking chair in the old Wyatt compound. And it's so brightly lit and it's like so high production value. And then the Hardy compound stuff, it's like they're literally shooting at night and there's times when it's hard to see. So I thought that like those flashbacks were part of this like beautiful theme of juxtaposition that was going on of, you know, Bray Wyatt, the kind of brightly lit corporate created madman redneck. Versus, you know, Matt Hardy, the sort of uh, self-created madman redneck and them coming to a head, you know, it, it, was, it was so well done that they're saying these characters are very close, but they're also very far from each other in really important ways. And it's like that great moment in, um, you know, like so many movies or books where the, the, the older bad guy and the younger good guy come face to face and the older bad guy says, you know, I'm exactly like you or you're just like me. And it, it, there's, that, there's that moment of crisis for the younger character, when they realize they're they're just like this awful person, and that, or not just like this awful person, but they could somehow become that awful person, and I and like I think it's a perfect way to transition, as you were saying earlier, into kind of relaunching the Bray Wyatt character by juxtaposing him with Matt Hardy in this way. And I think those flashbacks were such an important part of it.
1: And also, it shows because um, we, we've talked about this idea a ton the uh, the concept of an interior life was actually realized in those scenes. Like it is very weird to be able to say, no, I know exactly what Bray Wyatt was thinking in the moment he went into the land of obsolete men such a weird fucking sentence uh <laughs> because they do a flashback and it's a, it's not a cheesy one it's an incredibly well done one like you said it's incredibly like these people clearly these aren't people who heard what a movie looked like these are people with like real attachments to real cinema and when he flashes back and he sees the uh white compound on fire from his feud with bray uh from his feud with Randy Orton last year. It's this really incredible, like connection of the evolution of Bray Wyatt. And like, that's done in a scene in a, like in a, what would basically be like a headlock exchange in a regular match. And they still keep like the concept of wrestling, but they like hold it off for that little bit. And then they go into, like I said, the land of obsolete men, which for me was the most, explicitly cinematic not in the sense of um it like looking the most like a movie but it incorporating like concepts that are not in like the the chase scene somebody said it was Benny Hill I am like 99.9999% sure that is not a Benny Hill reference I could not find the movie that it is a reference to, but the way that they shot that scene, which is it's a crossfade. It's a bunch of crossfades on top of each other, like fade ins shot on what's essentially a static background where they would have Bray Wyatt run towards things a bunch of different times in a bunch of different ways. And then just like layer the footage on top of each other, which is like a really we don't realize it because we're so in tuned with what, with what movies have become that like when movies started breaking the way time works, it like blew people's fucking minds. Like time and space were completely changed. The way in which we engage with time and space, I should say were really changed when we started watching films because there was this moving image. Like uh, there's the famous story. I don't know if it's true of the train coming at the people in the movie theater and they think it's,
0: they're jumping out of the yeah, way yeah exactly <laughs>
1: like we our brains could not comprehend it and i think what they're saying is like they were literally making like an allusion to like these are the beginnings of what you will be seeing and we're showing you one of the because i'm pretty sure it's a trip to the moon but i couldn't find the scene but yeah
0: oh yeah it's a voyage dans le. lune
1: yeah, yeah it's a uh it's a movie from like 1902 it's famous for being uh the what the the shot of the tin can in the eye of the moon. And also it's the basis for the tonight, tonight video by the smashing pumpkin. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, that is like, to me when they were like, no, we are actually trying to like give you something that would be impossible with wrestling which is like literally bray wyatt being in a bunch of different places at once
0: absolutely and in that field of obsolete men scene there was so much complex stuff going on because the tombstones that he was dashing out from behind like like the uh, like the moon men in voyage de la moon, or Don or Don uh it, those tombstones are shaped like the old hardy symbols like the necklaces they sold back during the attitude era it's the, you know the, the hardy boy symbol the matt symbol the jeff symbol and i just thought that was so brilliant that It's like this graveyard of obsolete men and it's like, and the obsolete men that are buried there are the Hardy boys, former selves. And this idea of like, you know, that they in the past had been someone different and now they are different characters. It was just like, so brilliantly done. And I thought that was such a great piece of visual storytelling that the, the tombstones he was hiding behind were the symbols that they had used earlier in their careers as like their brands.
1: Yeah. And they go from there, and then they end up, essentially, there's some fighting in between. And it's actually incredibly brutal. Like, this is where stuff to, starts to get really, like, violent fight. Like, this is the part where I believe Bray White hits him with a tree branch. Because they come out of the land of obsolete men, and they have this really high shot. And it's from the drone. And that's the other thing I love, is that they use the drone as a, like, reason. You know how much I love diegetic music. I also love diegetic uses of camera. And that's like amazing. Like they use it to create this like layer of augmented reality on top of what you're watching in a way that doesn't feel fake or forced.
0: Another example of juxtaposition in Ultimate Deletion is we have those dark shots that are shot at, you know, Hardy and Wyatt's level. And the juxtaposition of that with the kind of God view night vision mode from Vanguard one. And there's literally that moment where Vanguard one buzzes down into Wyatt's face. This is towards the end. I'm skipping ahead. So I apologize. And he grabs it and he says, I'll deal with you later. It's like, he's literally grabbing the eye of God that we have occasionally been watching through. You know, it it, it was just like so heavily laden.
1: He's trying to take control of what's going on in that moment. And he, because he has such a need to be in control. And I think that's largely what it's about is his inability to let go of his idea of what he is and specifically because i think that they mention it enough specifically matt hardy mentions enough that they he needs to get let go of sister abigail as like an underlying concept in his life whether that means going back to husky harris or just coming back as like a bray Wyatt that isn't that much of a creep or is better and like wins like i don't know what that means but it like I think what's, uh, and we skipped ahead from a part that you really wanted to talk about, uh, which is the Dome of Deletion. I think that's where he like finally breaks breaks, like, b- like has a mental breakdown because he realizes, and this is very, very, very specifically done. They, the Dome of Deletion is when they enter and it's the like hangar. Shed. Or like a It's a shed. It's, a fancy yeah, it's, shed. Shed. it's an expensive yeah, shed. Yeah it's, a, <laughs> yeah, it's like a big shed where they keep a ring and next to the ring is a ladder and next to in uh, to the sides of the ring and the ladder are a piano, um, a lawnmower, and a wheelchair. And they fight by the ring. And what's really important is that Bray tries to throw Matt Hardy into the ring and follow him in. And Matt rejects him coming into the ring and forces him to like actually fight in the world that he's created and i think that's like that can't given everything else there's no way that wasn't intentional and i think that's when hardy breaks because he i think he gives him sister abigail on the floor of the dome of deletion and it doesn't work well he, he
0: he goes to give him sister abigail on the piano or the uranagi he goes to give him the uranagi onto the piano and that's when hardy counters and it's like he tried to destroy the art, you know what I mean? The the, the piano and stuff, and that's where Hardy gets the ladder. And that's like the most realistic part of the fighting really, is that there's like a 30, 45 seconds where Hardy is just wearing out Wyatt with the ladder. And after a lot of silliness that's come before it, that's actually like a really stark violent moment. In fact, probably the peak of actual violence in the presentation.
1: And it's important because Hardy is famous for, like, these brutal matches. And he's like, no, some of this is real, still within me. Like, that violence is still within me. But, like, I'm not who I was back then. You know how you know that. You just went through the land of obsolete men, and I was in there. Like, it's (laughs) real. sorry, it's just like, it it may sound like to people who aren't, like, paying attention to this shit like that we're crazy people but like there's really that many layers to what's going on oh 100
0: 100 and then like so so i just talked about like the you know you have the most brutal realistic part with the ladder and then you have the moment where the the uh, they're playing this like uh, late 90s early 2000s action scene you know fight scene music mm-hmm. during that <laughs> Oh, <tries> <tries> And then all of a sudden it shifts to um,
1: Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. It's a Dance
0: of the Sugar Plum Fairy from the Nutcracker. And then it goes to, I think it's Beethoven's Ninth. It's the same song they use in uh, Clockwork Orange, uh, famously. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. But but it, it goes from when they switch to the action, from the action movie to the music to the classical music, it shifts from being the most dead serious, brutal part of Ultimate Deletion to instantly being the silliest part, where he's trying to decide, like, should I run over him with the wheelchair or with the lawnmower? Like, the just totally silly out there. And then he gets on the lawnmower with his arms spread, And there's this one, like you said, there's this suspension of time and space where they zoom in on his face and he's riding very, very slowly towards Wyatt on the lawnmower. And it doesn't seem like he's getting there fast enough. Like it seems like there's some stretching of this very small space between them. And for me, that was the most surreal and most captivating moment in the whole thing. I know you said you really dubbed the Field of Obsolete Men. For me, it was the the Dome of Deletion part. Once again, the juxtaposition of the most dead serious stuff and the wackiest stuff. And when juxtaposition works right, it enhances both aspects. The seriousness of the violence makes the silly stuff weirder and more unnerving. And the fun of the silly stuff makes the violent stuff weirder and more unnerving. So even though you're putting very different things together, they're enhancing each other to create a singular effect.
1: That feeling That juxtaposition is not possible without it being filmed. Because, like, the amount of atmosphere you can create just by the way you shoot something in uh, an enclosed universe, the way that a film is, is so much different than the, like, way you can do it on stage. Like, you can create... That's not to say you can't create atmosphere on stage, of course. That'd be insane to say. But it's, it's just a different there's just a different feel you the mu- the music adds to it in a way that it would feel overpowering in a theater there's just it's shot and structured like a horror movie it's not like that part is supposed to be unsettling it's supposed to be funny he's saying mower of lawns and chair of wheels but like it's supposed to also he's trying to run over a dude with a lawnmower like that would be dangerous
0: <laughs> a little bit Oh, by the way, can I say I admire Matt Hardy's Husqvarna uh, lawnmower? That is a, that is a nice one. Yeah. Oh man. I've got the I've got the I've got the Chipo uh, Aaron's model. You know, <laughs> I got to get there one day. One day.
1: You'll have your own lake of reincarnation, which is where they end up. And that idea, and I know it's been around for a while, is such a brilliant concept. Like we said at the beginning, like the, it's the casket match. Like you go into the lake of reincarnation, you can come back out as somebody else. Like that's huge it allows you to like have first of all you don't have to have it i mean you do have he did get pinned or whatever but like the end of that match the deletion
0: Ray wyatt has been deleted.
1: was done in the lake of reincarnation like that's how it ended it was that the the match didn't end when he won the match because it wasn't a match it was a war and i i think the lake of reincarnation is this really powerful idea that is actually genuinely unique in wrestling. And I I think that like that along with the more cinematic stuff is like where this thing will have like legs going forward.
0: Yeah. 100%. I I agree. Like it, it stretches, it stretches what is possible. You know, they, they really have kind of extended the reality of the wrestling world here, which is awesome. Can I, can I mention one more quick thing about the lake of reincarnation?
1: Oh, Absolutely.
0: It kind of struck me seasonally, uh, the ending, uh, when he asks uh, Senor Benjamin to to get the body out of the lake. And uh, he Senor Benjamin says, you know, O'Bray oh, Wyatt's not here. Uh, it, as a good Catholic boy who went to Catholic school, it reminded me of the Easter story. <laughs> <laughs> of the Easter Sunday morning where the people go to the tomb to uh, tend to Jesus's... Uh, you know, body to anoint it and do the proper burial rituals or whatever. And like, there's the, they, they supposedly see this angel who says, Oh, he's not here. And so I just thought, you know, in a week or this two weeks before Easter, I thought it was just, it was just too good to get a little bit of topical seasonal uh, religious illusion in there. It really oh, yeah. tied the whole thing together for me.
1: Yeah. This was, um, It was just really well done overall. Like I am excited for this going forward, but I am just excited that we got to spend basically like 20 minutes talking about a wrestling match and it was like about the cinematography. Like that's really what's exciting for me. It's like you said, I don't want every match to be this. I don't want Lucha Underground to turn into Ultimate Deletion all of the time. right? (laughs) But I like the idea that stuff like this is going to be done, not is possible, but is going to be done going forward. And what that means, like, I'm not gonna like ask you to say what you think is gonna happen in 10 years, but like, is this, like, are we making, do you think we're making too big a deal about this if we're just excited nerd boys? Or does this, like, did this actually feel like a real sea change to you?
0: To me, this felt like something very, very different Um, and when I look at this and when I look at the one they, they did in TNA, what I really see is that to me, this lives in Matt Hardy and maybe to some lesser extent, Jeremy Borash, but I think the real uh, broken brilliance does, does lay within Matt himself. And I don't really trust them to pass this on to any way, anyone else, or, or to make this a universe that lives beyond Hardy. I mean, like, even when you think of the characters in in the broken world, it's like Brother Nero. What is Brother Nero? Well, Brother Nero is Jeff Hardy, but Brother Nero is like this version of Jeff Hardy that's only Jeff Hardy as he's seen through his brother's eyes. You know what I mean? That the entire broken mm. world, it, it, it runs through Matt Hardy. And I find it very hard to believe that if he wasn't in the picture, that anybody else maybe would, would be replicating this. Um, but with that said, I think the door is open for for creatively minded wrestlers you know with a vision to go out there and do something different and pitch it and just try to get it put on the end of the show at 11 o'clock like this one is a tale you know and just say well you know if worse comes to worse that's you know only however many people saw it everybody else had already gone to bed you know <laughs> so yeah no i
1: and, and that's yeah i was gonna say i wasn't sure, I, I agree with you that i think that like i don't want the broken universe to exist outside of matt hardy but i'm really excited um, long-term for what this means for the creativity of wrestling, not even for guys that are in the industry now, but, like, the people who saw this and wanted to get into wrestling because of it. And the way that, like, they saw Matt and Jeff Hardy be backyard wrestlers and wanted to get into it. So, I and then I think we can end on this question, is, like, is Matt Hardy and and Jeremy barish? are they actual, like geniuses
0: that's a word that i have like real trouble with on every level (laughs) so i don't know I, i i think it's easier to call someone a genius once there's more context for their time and their accomplishments and and all that but uh i think that they have done something that no one had previously did i mean they broke real new ground they tried things that no one else had dared to try or that everybody else had assumed was stupid and doomed to fail and uh, they really threw it in everybody's face and turned it into real success. I mean, Matt turned it into a return run to the WWE, if nothing <laughs> else, you know? So, I mean, I, I, it's a real test. That they, they're savvy guys. Borash has been around the business, you know, forever, his whole adult life, even before then. And uh, he's he's definitely a really smart guy who knows what he's doing. And, you know, Hardy, someone once again, been in the business since he was a teenager, much like Borash. And, all, both of them are people, though, who have very varied interests outside wrestling and are bringing a really different perspective that wasn't making it to TV before. So so I'm hesitant to call them geniuses is what I'm hemming and hawing about here. But uh, I think they're both really smart guys, and they made something really good.
1: <laughs> okay, no, yeah, and I think that's fair, because I think it's, it's dangerous to call anybody that comes up with something new and interesting a genius. And I, I, that's kind of what I was, is like, I think this has real potential to be like a transformative thing for Hardy's legacy more so than the history of wrestling. But I think the legacy of Matt Hardy now is like forever cemented as like a genuinely important innovator on a next level than most other performers like not just this but like tables and ladders and chairs and stuff like that he really has time and time and time and time and time again he's been in the wrestling business since he was like 14 uh completely changed himself and like and his brother has helped but i i think if you look at matt hardy i think we're gonna look back at him as one of like the great creative forces in the history of wrestling
0: yeah i think that matt hardy is officially brian pillman if brian pillman hadn't died you know he had he had his big oh yeah that's perfect he had his big medical issue uh and his addiction issues but he came through it and he found a way to turn himself from a great in-ring worker to a great character and really extend his career and elevate himself i mean you know broken matt hardy in spite of his you know like limitations that he can't do the same stuff in the ring that he once did he is much more main event and much bigger than Matt Hardy of the Hardy Boys with a Z uh ever was and I, you know he really made that transition that brian pillman never did or or, or you know didn't really get the, the chance to complete
1: i had not thought about that but this is the thing that's most similar that feels the most real fake fake real to me is the pillman's got a gun thing so like th- that actually like mm. really works as like he was a player he was a performer pretending to have a psychotic break and that was the character and this is basically the same thing, but like they went in the complete opposite directions. Like one went super real and the other one went like super constructed. Yeah. Well, I think this was a a great, uh, bonus emergency extra fun episode. I, I don't know what to call it, but what we're definitely going to, um, do more like these because, uh, we're probably going to have gaps between episodes. Uh, we will be coming back next week with our episode on disappointment because, uh, disappointingly enough i'm not good with the calendar and i was planning on doing it this week but then realized wrestlemania was next week and that just makes more sense so it's yeah. uh, partially why we did this many episodes but i think we're definitely going to do this again because i don't want to do an hour and 20 minute episode every week but i'm no. doing a 25 minute episode about something cool that happened so uh we definitely might do this again um and right. thank can you-
0: i uh, oh go ahead can i jump in here can i jump in here with a uh, a quick mini roundup on podcast oh yeah for sure heck yeah i figured uh since we have a mini sode i did a mini roundup here i have two recommendations but it's really one real recommendation and a shameless plug uh the real recommendation is for the uh, march 27th episode of killing the town uh, which features a really awesome interview between uh don Callis cyrus and uh, Jimmy Jacobs, formerly you know, a ROH wrestler and a WWE creative writer, now working with uh, Impact. It's a really great uh, conversation from top to bottom, but the part I really recommend zeroing in on is from the 38 minute, five second mark through the 41, 45 mark. Uh, during that part, uh, Jimmy Jacobs talks about being what he calls a program wrestler, uh, by which he means someone who, uh, his career is more about the storylines than the matches. And it's just like a really, really interesting discussion about being a quote-unquote program wrestler and what the advantages and challenges of that are versus being someone who's a really great athlete. So check out that most recent episode of Killing the Town. Really just like one of the best wrestling podcasts out there. More people should be listening to it. Um, And my second recommendation or shameless plug is uh, for myself. Uh, I did an appearance on another podcast, uh, Corrigan's Corner with John Corrigan, the uh, editor-in-chief over at The Wrestling Estate. Uh, That's available through the Team Left Jab Boxing Radio Network. So uh, on your podcast app, you can check out Team Left Jab Boxing Radio. Uh, But we talk WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, We talk a little bit about the current crop, but we mostly just talk about the Hall of Fame in general. We talk about, you know, who really belongs in there strong, who's in there that shouldn't be, who isn't in there that should be and uh, kind of who's on the fence one way or the other. So a pretty uh, complete conversation about the Hall of Fame. Definitely check me out on Corrigan's Corner uh, through uh, Team Left Jab Boxing Radio. The great war is over! Delete! 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 Delete!